Now, Michelle will come up and share about uh, CR. Good morning, Forever Family. Can you hear me? Okay, perfect. All righty. I saw the light go off, thought it died. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I celebrate recovery over poor self-worth. And I'm currently working on accepting things I cannot change and working Accepting the serenity that should come with that. My name is Michelle. The purpose of this monthly little message or talk is to um, change your paradigm about recovery. Celebrate recovery specifically, a Christ-centered program. Um, so I'm just going through our eight principles, which are based on the Beatitudes. Um, we've already covered principle one and two. They should be on the slide. But that's all right. We don't need them. Um, so we all recovered spiritually poor and blessed are those who mourn for they should be comforted. Um, what makes Celebrate Recovery different as a Christ-centered ministry is that, that line in principle two where it says he has the power to help me change and recover. Because when your higher power is Jesus Christ, he lives inside you and he, can, he gives you the power to change. You don't get that from a chair or a Buddha or a doorknob or whatever higher power you claim in the other programs, right? Okay. So tonight our uh, principle is, well, I had my phone, but I'll read it off screen. Uh, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. And happy are the meek, or blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So you can... Turn your life over to Jesus as a salvation piece, maybe once, or maybe you have to recommit yourself, depending on your life choices and living. But to commit yourself daily to the Lord is different. You have to wake up every day deciding. God always asks us for action, right? He gives us everything freely, but to draw close to him, it requires action. So he wants you to daily commit your will and your life to him. That's sometimes a struggle. Today it's a struggle, as Debbie referenced. So what does meekness as it relates to God, what is meekness as it relates to God and Jesus' sermon? One commentary I read points out that without meekness, we cannot fulfill the very aim of the verse later in the sermon, number 16, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father of heaven. Jesus just doesn't want us to change for our own sake, but for the glory of God. And he's teaching the disciples in this sermon how to be God-like so when the people see them, they think of God. And isn't that what our process is, is changing from old to new? Is always trying to be Christ-like. And that's where we enter into recovery is laying down our life to God and becoming Christ-like. So it's not much different. Meekness can be discovered in Psalm 37. In fact, Psalm 37, 11 may be the very verse that Jesus was quoting here. And I'm not going to read this because I'm not doing the message, but just write down the addresses 
if you want to look him up later. Um, but Psalm 37:11 is the line that says, we'll inherit the earth. Verse 9 references those who wait in the Lord. Verses 5 through 8, commit your way and trust in the Lord. Be still before the Lord. Don't anger or fret. These are all instructions we see in Psalm 37. So the process, the picture of meekness here so far is meekness begins by trusting God. Then it commits its way to the Lord, confident that he will use his power of mercy and good for us. And if that's not a basic belief that you have right now, that God is using his mercy and power for your good, you got some stinking thinking going on. Okay? Meekness then waits patiently and quietly for the outcome. Finally, meekness doesn't give way to anger and fretfulness when faced with opposition or setbacks. When you commit yourself to God and meekness, you need not defend yourself, be defensive, or seek revenge. James 1, 19 through 21 leads us to an example of meekness as the power to absorb adversity and criticism without lashing back. And more importantly, James 3, 13 and 17 shows us meekness is teachable. And that's what this process is all about. Learning, being taught. Lastly, Galatians 6, 1 through 12. Meekness is the knowledge of feasibility, of our own fallibility. Can't read my own writing. And sin. Meekness is the knowledge of our own fallibility and sin. This is also referenced in 1 Corinthians 10.2. Be careful if, your brother, if you see your brother fall. Be careful so you don't be tempted. That actually is the verse. We use the traditional 12 steps as well in Celebrate Recovery, but we pair them with biblical truths. And that is the verse, 1 Corinthians 10.12 and verse 10. That step is do a daily inventory and make amends as necessary. So hopefully as Christians, we are at the end of the day checking some boxes, highlighting some areas where we could have done better, repenting, and then calling and saying, I'm sorry. So those who are meek inherit the, earth of, inherit the kingdom of God. As it relates to recovery and changing our character defects and turning away from sin, meekness is a blessing for today resulting in broken chains of anger and hate, resentment, hurt, blessings of healed relationships, positive thought patterns. We're looking to change our mind, and as always, Jesus is looking for us to change our hearts. Let me just close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just pray today that we would all learn meekness, Lord, that we would praise our pride and our fear, our self-loathing, our anger with the spirit of peace and meekness, Lord, that we would today lay down those things that we are not giving to you, very big or very small, that we would do it right now, that we would trust in you, Lord, in that spirit of meekness, and that we would wait patiently. And when we're called to be angry or frustrated, when that feeling just wells up inside us, Lord, that we would remember to be meek, that we remember not 
to lash out. Lord, that doesn't mean we can't make a righteous argument. That doesn't mean that we don't listen to differing opinions and try to change them for your glory, Lord. But help us, Lord, today walk in meekness to be more like you. In your heaven name we pray, amen. And you can join us at Celebrate Recovery Tuesdays at 6 p.m. at Faith Baptist Church. Um, Faith Baptist Church is in the county, so we've had to go back down to 10 but we have three groups. We have child care, which you do need to call ahead, sponsored by the Celeste Charitable Fund. And we have a men's group and a women's group. We can actually have two women's groups, but um, we are limited to 10 per group. So we're kind of doing a pass-through through the entrance. So you may wait outside for a little bit. All right? Have a great day. Thanks. Thank you, Michelle. A lot, of, a lot of the things you spoke about were included in mine. Uh, Heavenly Father, once again, we come to you and I come to you, Father. I come to you uh, requesting that you would give me clarity of words, that you would, uh, uh, you would open up the hearts, that things you want us to uh, to keep in our hearts, Lord, and, and your word, Father, your word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Your word is our, our lifeline. Your word is our, our daily bread. And so, Father, I thank you for this opportunity to share your word and the message you've put on my heart. Thank you, Jesus, in your Jesus, Jesus, precious, wonderful, glorious name. Amen. Now, as we know, uh, Pastor has had a series on reconciliation, and um, um, when I told him about my message to my at my aunt Josie's memorial, it kind of we saw it kind of fit in. So, um, so this on the message I'm giving is on regrets and forgiveness. Some of you know that I was in California about three weeks ago. And I went down there to do my aunt's memorial service. And uh, how this Lord opened that door is a whole new story, another story of how at first I couldn't go, but the Lord opened up the door. So what does forgiveness mean? It means to grant relief from a debt or a payment. It means to cease to feel resentful against an offender. And forgiveness appears a little over 121 times in Scripture, we, get, we have the story of Joseph and his brothers, the prodigal son, the unforgiving servant, and on and on. We could spend days just studying the scriptures on forgiveness. And you can do that on your own, or we, we won't spend days and days today. <laughs> Once we have experienced God's forgiveness and grace in our own lives, we should treat others the same way. And know, and it doesn't go on if that person deserves it. Because you know why? None of us deserve to be forgiven. But our Heavenly Father chose to forgive us. And the Bible says in Ephesians 4.32, Be kind, compassionate, to love one another, forgiving each other, just as our Lord Jesus Christ forgave us. Just think, forgive each other just as our Lord Jesus Christ forgave us. And I was, and I was trying to put my head, wrap my head around that verse to forgive just as my Lord Jesus Christ forgave me, and I'm picturing him 
He was whipped. He was cursed. He was mocked. And on that cross, he forgave each one of us. We didn't deserve it. He just gave it. In Matthew 18, Peter, Peter comes to Jesus and says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And we all know the story. Jesus says, no, not seven. Seventy times seven. Representing there is no amount of time. You keep forgiving. You keep forgiving. And it's, it's, uh, you don't stop. And that's what he meant. And then following that, Jesus immediately told him the story of the unforgiving uh, servant. And we know that parable, how that, that servant came to the king. And, and this servant, I mean, say in this day and age, he would owe billions of dollars. He would owe, owe so much money that he could not repay. It was an amount that he could not repay. But he was begging for the king, and the king saw mercy and sent him away. He said, you are forgiven. I, and he received his mercy. But as we all know, somebody comes to him and owes him maybe a hundred bucks. And, and that, that servant who just received God's mercy turned him away. And he said, no, you're going to prison. Well, the king heard about it, and you know the story. He sent him back to prison. And that just shows us that did he really receive God's mercy? That, because when you really receive God's mercy, you want to pass it on. You want to, you want to reply to other people. You want to give that mercy because you've experienced it. And um, for truly to receive forgiveness is to recognize how, how big, how immeasurable God's grace, his gracious forgiving love is. And we... We want to extend it. We don't want to keep that. We want to just pass it on. Um, so now I would like to give you a little background history of why I went to California and did my aunt's memorial. And six years ago, uh, I took over care for my aunt. She was in the stages of dementia. And um, family members had stepped in. We have a lot of family members that live nearby her couple blocks away and they had helped but there was one big problem she had a 40 year old drug addicted son living with her and it came to the point that family members could not help her anymore they were um he made it very difficult and at times very scary and i don't know some of you might have dealt with drug addicted family members or friends but at times they can be very angry and threatening and so these family members, they had to back off. They said, we can't do it anymore. So when I heard about this situation and her getting her lights turned off and different things, and I just was praying, Lord, how can I help my aunt? Lord, this is my mother's sister. Lord, what can I do? I just kept saying, Lord, what can I do? And I felt the Lord who said, Debbie, you need to step in. You need to step in. So first thing I did was um, I called a social worker who, who specializes with the elderly down in that county, and I talked to the social worker for hours, gave him my scenario, told him the, you know, about the son and everything, and basically this is what the social worker said. He says, Debbie, I have dealt with these cases over and over. You will never get him out of the house. You have to realize that he is there. 
no matter how much money he's stolen from her, no matter what he's done to her, she will not toss him out because that's her little boy, that's her mijo. He said, and you have to deal with that. So if you're going to go in and help your aunt, you have to focus on helping your aunt and ignoring him. So that was the situation I went into. And, um, you know, I had family members, at first they were really scared. They, my brother said, sis, you can't go in there. You got to take Uncle Johnny with you. You got to take somebody else with you. And family members who had dealt with Mark just said, we don't recommend you do it, Debbie. And, uh, but, you know, I never had a fear. I didn't have a fear because God had called me to do this. God had said, you need to help your aunt. And when he calls you to do something, he's going to protect you. When God calls us to step out, when God calls us to do somewhere, to go somewhere dangerous, he's going to protect us. And the assurance he gave me is in Luke 10. Behold, I have given you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and all the powers of the enemy, and no harm will come to you. And that's in Luke 10, 19. And I held on to that. And you know what? I never was threatened. I, ne I mean, it just, I, I went every day. I mean, not every day. Every time I went down there, I would go to the house. I'd spend time with my aunt. And, and you know, Mark was angry at times, and he got upset. And, uh, but um, God protected me. So two years about two years ago, I came to a crossroad. Um, I'm having a hard time keeping this on. <laughs> this? Okay. Okay. Um, so two years ago, I came to a crossroads about what I was going to do. What, you know, I, I, I had to make a decision. She was going to have to be put in a place, or I just, I even tried to give her, uh, get her up here, and I couldn't get a place opened up. And so, but praise God, one of her sons stepped up. He, they took her home. Him and his wife cared for her for these last two years until she went to be with Jesus about a month ago. So thank you, Jesus, for that. Now, I want to say that at the memorial, you have to realize many family members were angry and resentful to Mark because they felt he had, he had lessened her life. He, she had lost her home. She had lost her money, and so family members knew this, and they were out there, and they knew that Mark caused this. So there was a lot of resentment, and so that's why I feel God gave me the words regrets and forgiveness to, to share with my family that day. And so, um, and so Mark had just gotten out of jail, didn't know if he was going to be at the memorial or not, but he was there. And... I saw him to the side as I was getting ready before the message. I was able to go over to Mark. I was, able to, I was able to hug him and tell him, Mark, I forgive you. And um, then I gave my message. And here's, here's part of my message. Once again, the Lord gave me the two words, regret and forgiveness. There is no such thing as a life without regrets. Especially when a loved one dies, we will have thoughts, could I have done this? Should I have done this? Regret is feeling a sense of loss or sorrow or what might have been. Regrets will either restrict you from the future 
They will keep you from moving forward in life, or they can be an important learning tool. They can be an important lesson learned. And we have to look at and say, what can I learn from this lesson? And we have to realize that these lessons will make us wiser and stronger. The important lesson is to make a, improve your own life. That's the change. That's the lesson. We have to improve and change our life and for the lives of ones around us. Okay, we have all hurt people. Everybody in this room, unless you live in the mountains in a cabin by yourself, but you might have even hurt yourself, <laughs> I can guarantee you, we've all hurt people in t sometimes unintentionally and sometimes intentionally. It just happens because we're people. Okay, we're all human and we have that sinful air of wanting things our way. So in, in saying that, if any of you out there I've hurt, please forgive me, and you're always welcome to come and talk to me, because sometimes, and this has happened in church, sometimes somebody may say something, and they're not even aware of it, but you've taken it a certain way. And it's so, so important not to let the enemy get a wedge in there. We, we suggest go to that person. Do not let the enemy get a wedge in there. So... Um, Forgiveness is to give up the right to get even or to hold in debt someone who has wronged you. Forgiveness does not want revenge. Forgiveness means different things to different people. Generally, however, it involves a decision to let go of resentment and thoughts of revenge. Forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting or excusing the harm done. Forgiveness brings a kind of peace that helps you go through on with life. Forgiveness doesn't depend on our feelings. Our feelings will come and go, and we can't depend on them. They will change without notice. Forgiveness is both a decision and a process. Forgiveness often takes much time and effort. It is a process. And yet there comes a time in this process where the bottom line is you have to decide, am I going to forgive that person or not? And that's your decision. Now, there have been many studies done on the physical and mental benefits of forgiveness. Here are some of the benefits from one study done by the Mayo Clinic. Healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety, stress and hostility, lower blood pressure, and fewer symptoms of depression. And I often feel, you know, I do benevolence here in church, and a lot of times I'll counsel with people and young people. I mean, I'm talking like I'll counsel with 20 and 30s that are coming for help for some reason or another. They need, you know, uh, help with their uh, uh, rent or, or groceries or something. But so many of these young people, I'm so surprised. They're depressed. They're, they've got anxiety. They, they can't hold a job down because they say they have anxiety. And I really feel some of this has to do with forgiveness. They, we have to clear our hearts of forgiveness. And I really feel that, that a lot of this depression, anxiety, uh, mental health, if we step through the gates of God, what God has for us, that, that mercy seat, that forgiveness, I, I feel there would be tremendous uh, ease in that. So now the examples of forgiveness that have helped me and continue to help me on my journey of forgiveness, I have three main examples that have been my uh, lifeline. 
One of them was from my grandmother, Cora, my Aunt Irene, and of course, my Lord Jesus Christ. And um, so, I was, at first I was trying to decide, should I tell you guys these stories? And yes, it's important. <laughs> it's important. And, and all my family know this. When I was 10 years old, I used to spend every summer in Hollister to visit my grandmother and grandfather. I was very close to them. And I was 10 years old, and I was, we were in the living room, and um, up the walkway came a policeman and a family friend, a Dr. Moore. My grandmother worked for him. The minute my grandma saw them walking up the walkway, she said, it's my Joey. She just knew it was, and Joey was my uncle, her son. He was 21 years old. And... Um, the minute they came up, opened the door, Dr. Moore said, Cora, and she said, it's my Joey. And he said, he's gone. And the police officer looks at my grandmother and says, Mrs. Perales, we're holding the, the driver because you need to come and press charges for manslaughter. He was drinking and driving when he killed your son. My grandmother's immediate words, there was no hesitation. Her immediate words, at the time I didn't know, I was 10 and I didn't know the scripture, but at the time she was quoting Romans 12.10. She said, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. I didn't realize, but uh, Romans 10.12 says, never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. And I just, I was 10 years old, and I just remember, my grandmother had just been told this guy killed your son. And grandma just said, nope, I will not press charges. I just want to come and hear what my son's last words were. She went, she forgave, um, the man was released. He changed for a while, but sadly enough, he went back and he lost his own life years later in a car accident. My second example was another uh, relative, my Aunt Irene. My Aunt Irene lost five loved ones in her lifetime. But my Aunt Irene was my father's uh, sister, and she was a saint to me. I loved my Aunt Irene. I would take every opportunity to sit in her living room and just talk to her and gleam in her wisdom of the love of the Lord. So first she lost a two-year-old son. He, believe it or not, he picked up a, pair, uh, a piece of raw spaghetti and died, choked on it. She lost a 13-year-old. My cousin was 13, my same age. He was crossing the street. He was hit by a car. She lost my, uh, my cousin, uh, another cousin, by dialysis. Uh, she had a bad kidneys. She lost my uh, cousin Johnny. He fell off the ladder at work, had a head trauma. He died. Then my uncle, Lorenzo, was at the side of a road fixing underneath his car, trying to fix the motor. A car came by, killed him. So this lady, she endured those deaths. But yet my aunt, she, when you sat with her, all she could speak about was the faithfulness of God. All she would tell me is about Miha, stay close to him. God is faithful. He's, he's a forgiving. He's a gracious God. And, um, excuse me, I just, have to, I just have to do that for a minute. Um, this part is kind of, uh, my father was mean to my aunt. My father was not a nice man. 
And whenever my father would visit my aunt, he would downgrade her. He would just tell her, you're, you're, you, you, you just live horrible and, and, and look at you and you're worth nothing. And I'm ashamed to say that, but that's what my father did. He treated her. He treated my aunt so horribly. My aunt died about five years ago, and uh, my brothers and sisters were, were around her bed. And, um, and my aunt says, uh, she looks at all of us kids, and she says, I know my brother loved me. She said, my brother loved me. And she looks at us, and she says, you kids, your dad loves you. Just forgive him. Your dad loves you. And that's the way she died. She died with a heart so full of forgiveness. And I just, um, that's embedded in my heart also. And of course, the last example is when our Jesus Christ was on the cross and he had been whipped, he had been cursed, he had been just so beaten. And he looks up and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If my Father in heaven can be that forgiving, how dare I? How dare I even think of not forgiving? How dare I even think of holding a grudge? We need to remember what we've been forgiven from. We need to remember the costs. And um, then I ended that, uh, and I said, if we truly want to honor and celebrate our Aunt Josie's life, let us start the process today by forgiving each other for any hurt or resentment. And at this time, um, I called family members up, and different people, uh, different people spoke. And, but the most touching, the moment it changed, you could feel... There was about 90 people in the room, and you could just feel this, just like the Holy Spirit. My aunt, my Aunt Carla, she is my Aunt Josie's youngest sister. She came up to the podium. She looked at Mark. She said, Mark, I'm not there yet. I'm not there. I'm working on forgiving you, Mark, but I still love you. And when she said that, you just like, wow. There was this stillness and the tears, and, and it was like, wow. It was just, we all just sat there. And you could see Mark, the tears streaming down him. And uh, then I had other people come up. Some more people came up and said some things. And then Mark came up. He came up, and he was like this. And he said, um, he's shaking, and he said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for all the pain I've caused. Please forgive me. And at that point, it was ended. People got up. People started hugging him. People started hugging each other. And that was my aunt's memorial. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Forgiveness is so powerful. It is, it is beyond words. 
one other story that I'd like to share that I came across when I was uh, doing research. Is, is this feedback bothering it, Christy? Oh, is this good enough then? Okay, <laughs> thank you. So a story I came across as I was preparing this lesson for forgiveness is, um, it was called the power of forgiveness. And this has all been the power of forgiveness. But on June 17, 2015 in Charleston, South Dakota, a young man, Dylan uh, Roof, he was 21 years old. He was a white male. He joined a Wednesday night Bible study at the Emanuel African Methodist Church. He was welcomed by the teacher and everybody was there. He sat in this Bible study during the whole thing, maybe an hour. He sat there with them. When the Bible study was over, he stood up and killed nine, nine people there. He killed, including the teacher. He, um, I just like, wow, it was like, 48 hours later, so get this, 48 hours later, the teacher's husband, Anthony Thompson, shows up at his hearing. They had a bond hearing there. Anthony Thompson shows up at this hearing. The judge gave uh, victims, families, members to say anything they wanted to to this young man, Dylan. Anthony got up, and this is what he said. He said, Dylan, I forgive you and my family forgives you. But we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters the most, Jesus Christ, so that he can change it and change your attitude. And no matter what happens to you, then you'll be okay. Do that and you'll be better off than you are right now. And I just think, 48 hours later, not only is he forgiving him, he is offering him eternal life. 48 hours later, this man killed his wife. And Anthony Thompson was not only forgiving Dylan, he was saying, please change. Please accept Jesus Christ so that no matter what happens to you, you're going to be okay. And it was like, wow. And the mayor of that town, this is what he said. He said, a hateful person came to this community with crazy ideas to divide, to cause a, a racial war. But all he did was he united us. And he made us love each other even more. And as far as I know at the time, uh, in fact, I know I read, he, the killer didn't repent. But the reason I was so touched by this story is here was a man, his wife had just been killed 48 hours ago. But not only did he forgive this young man, he was offering him eternal life. And I said, Lord, may I be able to do the same. Lord, help me that I may be able to do the same. And um, so we can, okay, and so it's like, where does this power come from? It only comes from Jesus Christ. You and I, we don't have it, folks. We, we do not have that kind of grace and mercy. It's only from our Lord Jesus Christ. None of us has that capability. 
None of us has that capability that when somebody comes and says, this person murdered your son. No, my grandma didn't have that in her own strength. She had it because she had lived a life getting deeper and deeper with Jesus. That's why she came so automatic. So, so folks, we cannot be content with conflict or division. We must constantly aim for forgiveness and reconciliation. As we live in these communities shaped by these principles, we will experience what it truly means to be forgiven and forgiving. We have to constantly, constantly aim. It's something that's a process. You keep doing it. You get up every day and you say, Lord, help me. Help me to forgive. Help me to, to embed that in my heart. And the only way this is possible, only way I found in Philippians 4.9, the things you have learned, received, heard, and seen in me, practice these things, and the peace of God shall be with you. The things you have learned, received, heard, seen in me, practice these things. You know what practice means? It means every day you get up. Every day you get up and you say, you know, many of us, I've been coming to this church for 42 years. I've heard these things. They've been embedded in me. I've learned them. And you know what? I still got to practice. 42 years, I've still got to get up in the morning. I still got to say, Lord, be with me. Help me to have the attitude I need to have. And you know where, the you know where it begins? It begins with daily irritations. It begins with having to wear a mask. It begins, with, it begins with going down the road and getting cut off by the traffic. It, it means when you're, you're in line at the grocery store and somebody cuts you off. Those are daily irritations so that we can practice what we've seen, what we've learned, what we've heard from being in church. Okay? So when you are experiencing these daily irritations, we need to say, Lord, help my attitude. Lord, I forgive that person for cutting in front of me instead of saying, you idiot. How many of us want to say, you idiot? And we all have our little, how many, do you have your little daily irritations? Raise your hand if you have your little daily irritations. Well, yes. And you, nobody knows what they are but you. They could be different for you, okay? They could be different for, but every one of us have. And that's where, that's where it begins. It begins with practicing to forgive whoever, whoever irritated us, whether it's our government, whether it's somebody cutting off in line, whether it's that person who cut us off in the, at the car, whether it's the person who flipped us off. You know, that's where it begins. We want to make a change. We make a change with the small daily irritations, asking God to adjust our attitude. That's where it begins. And so, um, I've, one thing I forgot to do, I was going to put pieces of paper, but you guys have the bulletins. Um, and you have pins at, your, at the chairs. I want, you to, I want us to take a few minutes and pray and ask God if there is anybody in your heart from your past, your present, just if there is somebody that you need to, to extend this forgiveness to, write that person's name down, put it at the foot of the cross, and say, just say a prayer and say, Lord, 
I give you this. I forgive this person. And, and ask the Lord to help you forgive that person. And you know what? Um, you can even forgive somebody who has passed away. You know, you can just say, I forgive them. I forgive my father for what he did to me. I forgive, you know, my mother or my grandmother. And, um, but I think we have to empty this heart of ours of unforgiveness before God can really fill it up with his forgiveness. And sometimes we don't even know, you know. Sometimes it's like, you know, a thought would come in and, you know. So, um, so I'm going to pray and, um, and then you can be doing that. And then Stan's going to come up and lead us in communion. And then once we're done, I'll, I'll pray again and then we'll be dismissed. So, Heavenly Father, we give you all glory, honor, and praise, Father. You are our sovereign Father. You are our forgiving Father. And Lord, I just pray these things you have, you have taught us, we have received them, we have seen them, that Lord, we would embed them in our hearts, Father. That Lord, that we can change the world by going out there. We can be the ambassadors of reconciliation like our pastor has said. And start with the little things in our community, Father. When we see somebody being rude to somebody else, let us step in. Let us not be as scared. When we see somebody else just being not nice to people, Father, may we be bold enough in you, Jesus, to step in besides that person. But let us be ambassadors of reconciliation in our community, in our little part of the world, Father. And so we thank you for this time, give you all glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' precious, wonderful, glorious name, amen. Okay.